We do believe that small groups are more than just relevant in our lives, but they're totally necessary for great spiritual formation. We need rows, but we also need circles. And uh, I'm going to be talking about this in a little bit, um, our need for transformation and, and authentic relationships. But it's so good to see everybody here. Why don't you turn to your neighbor, give him a high five, and say, you're looking good. You're looking good. All right. Tell that person, you, I'd be the best-looking person in the house if it wasn't for you. That's, just let them know that. So today we're ending our 21 days of prayer and fasting. I want to thank you for taking the journey with us. Give yourselves a hand. And, and hopefully we've created some muscle memories and growing, learning, stretching, uh, diving in. Some holy habits have cre- been created. <clears throat> it's never too late, but we are growing. We are lean in culture and we're hungry for more, all right? And speaking of hungry for more, tonight is welcome home. We got tri-tip. Come on, somebody. Tri-tip. That's, uh, that's something to look forward to. And I told someone, I said, man, I, I've, I've loved the fast. I just, it, I, I wasn't like, I, you know, how safe is this fast with all this raw vegetables? Because, you know, you hear about kale being recalled and broccoli and spinach. You know, I've never heard of like a Twinkie being recalled. You know what I mean? Like... But um, it has been such a, a great 21 days, so many breakthroughs and stories already, and I just believe the best is yet to come. Tonight at 5 o'clock is our welcome home. We invite you to come be with us. We're going to learn some things about this house, talk about the vision, heart, where you belong, how you can be plugged in, and uh, we have a lot of areas that we just believe that are part of spiritual formation, that we, we need the body. God has given us the body of Christ to work together, to grow together, and we have small groups. And I want to thank all of our small group leaders from last semester and this semester. Let's give them a hand. Thank you so much for giving us that, that equity and that time, that real estate out of your life to, to pour into us and to, to lead us, and we, we appreciate it. We, we don't take small groups lightly. Also, our dream team that serve. Let's give our dream team a hand. These are amazing people that serve on the weekends or during the week and uh, in many different capacities. We like to say it like this. We don't, we don't use uh, people to get ministry done. We use ministry to get people done. It's in ministry and serving that we grow. That's where uh, a lot of our spiritual formation happens is when we're serving in our gifting, in our capacity, um, in accountability with a team, with other people, and it does make a huge difference. So join us tonight and learn more about how you can get plugged into this house. All right, so we are starting a new sermon series, and uh, drum roll, please. I'm just kidding. You don't have to do a drum roll. Um, here's, the, here's, the, here's the title, Me, Myself, and I. This is not about being a narcissist. This is about relationships, and we are going to kind of dive in over these next several weeks into some, some big points about relationships. It's going to be a lot of fun. I would love for you to come back, be here, because we want to give you the tools to win in every relationship. Now, we have a conviction here, a couple convictions I want to share with you. The first one is, we live in a broken world, and there's a bunch of broken people. Can I get an amen? Let's just say it like this. We're all a little dysfunctional. All right? All the honest people were like, Amen. And there's a lot of people who are like, hmm, did he just call me dysfunctional? <laughs> we'll write that on Google. <laughs> um, but the truth is, is, is we need a self-examination often. We need the word to examine our hearts, our lives. We need God to do a deep inner work in us because it all really does begin with you and I. Like if I want to be successful in any relationship, 
None of my relationships can be more successful or more healthy than I am. If I'm not healthy, then my relationships can't be healthy. I, don't, I, don't, I never see an unhealthy marriage. I just see unhealthy people who are married, right? That, that's the truth of the matter. I never see unhealthy marriages. It's unhealthy people who are married. I, I don't see unhealthy friendships. I, I, I see unhealthy people who have become friends. And so we're going to deal with this. We're going to look, go to ground zero and deal with the story and the narrative of where relationships really do begin. So while you're turning to Genesis chapter 32, I want to read to you a quote that I found a couple years ago that I just, I meditate on this. I think about this often whenever I'm um, walking in my spiritual formation, growing with God, asking questions, uh, learning, stretching, being accountable. Um, I, I go to this uh, little, little pithy statement, and, and I'm, I make it kind of a mantra regularly. And this is what it is. It says this. One ship sails east and another west while the same breeze blows. It's the set of the sail and not the direction of the wind, per se, that determines where the boat goes. Think about that. It doesn't matter which way the wind is blowing. It's about how the sails are positioned that determines the direction of the boat. It doesn't matter what relationships, good or bad, are in your life. How are your sails set? That's the question. Maybe in this sermon series, we're going to reset the sails so we can get to our destination. We're going to see relationships in a different way, and we're going to start with me, myself, and I. Now, I had the terrible idea of saying, what if we said me, myself, and there was actually an eyeball, and they said that was a terrible idea. Thank you for speaking truth. All right. Genesis 32. Here we go. Genesis 32 and 6. It says this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to you a story about one of the most dysfunctional people in all of the Bible. In fact, this guy by the name of Jacob is a guy who has more real estate in the book of Genesis than any other person in all uh, of Genesis. It's amazing the stories, and it's almost like um, if I was Jacob, I'd be like, God, can we omit and, and leave all this out of the Bible? This is very foretelling and very, very scary to go back and look at all of these things that I've done. It's one of those kind of like creepy, crazy like, this is a crazy person in the Bible, and yet somehow God gets a hold of him and does something supernatural inside of him that changes the trajectory of his life forever. So I want you to see this. Genesis 32 and 6. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Let me give you a context. Jacob is now running from his father-in-law, who was his employer. He married both of his daughters. Kind of a crazy story in and of itself. He's running from Laban, running into Esau. And which just tells us, like, you're either coming, he's leaving a problem, but he's going straight into an old 20-year-old problem. He can't get away from the problems. And then it says, in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, oh God, my father of Abraham, uh, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, I will make you prosper I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown to your servant. I only had, I only, 
only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Now watch this prayer. This is important. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau. I want you to see this prayer. We're going to come back to it. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will come and attack me. So here's what Jacob does. He schemes. He's got everybody divided. It's amazing. He, he has the audacity to divide, like put all the servants up front and all the cattle he doesn't want, and then all the good cattle with, with some of the kids that he likes more, and then like, like his, his one wife and, and some of the maidservants, and, and, and then Rachel, his favorite, he, he and Rachel are in the back. So like if, as they're killing people, if they get tired of killing people, maybe me and the wife that's hot that I like the most will be the one that's saved. This guy's a schemer. This guy's got some issues. And so he's got this whole thing set up. He even says, we'll send him, we'll send him some stuff, some, some goodies, some gift cards. Um, maybe the Toys R Us because they're out of business, but we got tons of them. We don't know what to do with them. We'll send some stuff his way, and maybe it'll appease him. And so he's got this whole scheme because he's a schemer. That's what he does. That's what, Jacob, that's what Jacob, this dysfunctional person, does. And he ends up one night, that, that night, before Esau shows up the next morning, having an encounter with God. See, most people read this story of Jacob wrestling with God, but have no context of what's really happening, of this vignette, of this, this story of where Jacob is in the middle of his conundrum, in his pain, in his problem. So that night, verse 22, the same chapter, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. Watch this. So Jacob was left alone. Jacob is by himself. Finally, all the noise, all the commotion, he's finally just with me, myself, and I. And a man shows up. More than a man, we're going to find out. A man wrestled with him till daybreak. Esau's coming, like, why, why am I in this battle? Who am I battling here? Till daybreak, they wrestle all night. When, a man, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched. And as he wrestled with the man, then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. You have struggled with God and with humans, and tonight everything changes. Heavenly Father, we open our hearts to your word. Let your living word teach the written word. Let it fall into good ground and bring forth much fruit. I pray for us as humans that are relational, that you would give us the tools and the insights to perceive what is your good and acceptable and perfect will and how we're to proceed in relationships. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. So I'm, as you know, from Houston, born and raised, been an Astro fan my entire life. 2017 was a great year. 2019 2020, it's been bad news, Astros. 
you know that. If you're a baseball fan, you know it's, 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 a, rough, it's a rough little season for us Astros. Um, can I get an amen? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, anyways, um, <laughs> some cheaters. Anyways, little Jacob action going on. Anyways, um, still painful. The, the baseball, baseball is, is America's pastime. Maybe not as much as it was, but at one time it was the sport. Their football hadn't fully immersed, and it was more like rugby. And, and back in the 20s, 30s, 40s, you know, basketball was still kind of emerging. But, but baseball was America's pastime. Anybody could go. You, poor, wealthy, you could go and grab a hot dog and spend a couple of, that, that was entertainment for just the common guy, just the common gal. They could go to a, a baseball game, right? And there, there, there's so many uh, great uh, characters and players back in the 20s and 30s and 40s. Some great stories, some breakthroughs, even racially that took place. And, and uh, man, I, I just love the story of baseball. There's, there's two baseball pitchers. There's only two in the history of baseball who have actually pitched a 30-win uh, season. That's a lot, right? And if you get 20 wins in a season, I mean, you're like Cy Young. You're going to get the Cy Young Award. There's only, there's only two. One's name is Denny McLean. And the other is Jerome Dean, known as Dizzy Dean. What a name. Come on, somebody. Dizzy. If you're a pitcher, you want your name to be Dizzy Dean. So he's, he's, he, he's one of two who has pitched uh, 30 wins in a season. I mean, he, he is sailing. He's getting better and better every year after year, getting better and better. Till the 1937 uh, All-Star Game, he's pitching. He's pitching against guys like Joe DiMaggio and Lou Gehrig, and these guys are actually have hit singles on him because he's playing at about 90%. You know, he's pitching, but he's not pitching to, to win. He wants to win the World Series, not to win the All-Star game necessarily. He's pitching. They hit a single. They hit a single, and the next Earl Averill is up, and he hits one right down the middle, actually hits Dizzy Dean right in the small toe. I mean, that's got to hurt a little bit. I mean, we've all knocked our toes a few times on the end of the bed post, right? Stepped on a few Legos, that almost caught us saying things, words in the air that we weren't supposed to say. But it's just a small toe. No big deal. I mean, he's a pitcher, right? I mean, at least, it didn't, at least it didn't hit him in the shoulder or the arm or the hand or the finger, right? We had one of our musicians. I forget who it was a couple years ago. I think maybe Mario. And he called. He said, hey, I was in a car accident. I said, how's your throat and how's your fingers? Can you still play? Can you still sing? Just kidding. That's terrible. Would never have done that. But I did double check. He, 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 he had his toe broke. His toe was broke. And he said, I'll keep pitching the All-Star game. Not a big guy. I can push through it. And so they said, hey, should you take a couple weeks off and, and, and so your, your foot will heal? He said, no, I'll just, we want to win the World Series this year. So he kept pitching. Here's the problem. When you pitch, you land on that foot. And because of the pain, he began to compensate. His pitch actually began to change. And he actually blew out his shoulder in two years, lost his career because of a, a little toe injury. A, a small thing showed up in a shoulder. A small toe problem showed up in a shoulder issue. A toe problem ended his career as a pitcher. Now, I don't know if you're smelling what I'm selling here, but it's there, there's some little things that become big things in relationships. I want to talk to you about a guy named Jacob whose name means supplanter, whose name means a sailor, deceiver. He, he has taken this name and lived by this name. He has ruined and violated every important relationship in his life. 
He's a mess. He's a hot mess. He's messed up uh, his, his relationship with his brother, his parents, his employer, his, uh, his, 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 his uh, wives, his, his maidservants, and his father-in-law. He has ruined them all. It started with making some soup and his brother going, man, I'm starving. I, I don't know if I can even make it back to camp. I, I may pass out and die here. He goes, I'll give you some soup for the birthright. He swindles his brother for a birthright. And then when it was time for his dad to bless his older brother Esau, he dresses up like Esau. Smells like Esau, feels like Esau, doesn't sound like him, but his dad's blind. He's like, well, you don't sound like him, but you sure do smell and feel like him. You're just stinky hunter guy. You got lots of hair. Okay, I'll bless you. He steals his brother's birthright and his blessing. He goes and he becomes this conniver. He's always conniving. He's the guy, instead of kicking the ball through the goalposts, he kicks, and wherever the ball goes, he moves the goalposts to get a win. That's him. He is the guy who's always manipulating and scheming, and he's literally violating and ruining every single relationship. Now, we've all lied on some measure, right? right? Like anybody here, just be willing to admit today in the house of the Lord, I've told a lie before. Maybe, you know, there's no such thing as a, a little white lie, but we've all, like, stretched the truth, right? I mean, if I was to look at your driver's license, I'm sure you're not the weight and the height that you say you are. Come on, somebody. Lying to the government isn't lying, right? I'm just declaring the person I want to be. I should have been, right? Or when you say, yes, I've read the terms and conditions, so let's upload this software, you never read one line in those terms and conditions. We're not talking about that kind of line. We're talking about scheming. We're talking about planning it out. And schemers get schemed. Deceivers get deceived. And that's the kind of life that he's living. This is not a guy you go, hey, I want my sons to turn out like this dude. I want you to be just like Jacob, scheming and deceiving. And, and what you find is over time, he doesn't get better. Just because you do something a long time doesn't mean you get better at it. You know, that couple that came to a pastor and said, we want you to counsel us, we want to get married, we want you to marry us. And he says, yeah, you can get married, I'll marry you, but you got to go through six weeks of counseling. We have Simbus, that's a plug for Simbus. Uh, if you're getting married, we have Simbus. Anyways, um, he says, you got to go through it. And they go, oh, we don't need counseling. Well, you, don't, you don't need counseling. No, we've been married several times. We don't need counseling. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, sometimes we, 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 self we, 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 we tell ourselves lies. It's called a delusion. When you tell someone a lie, that's bad. When someone tells you a lie and you believe it, that's bad. But when you tell yourself a lie and you believe it, you begin to deceive yourself. He begins to see himself as a victim. I'm a victim. Can I just tell you in the story of God, you're not the hero. You're not the victim. You're the villain. You're the villain that God saves because of his grace. And so now he sees the world totally different. And he's, he's, he's scheming, but he finds himself, he's not, he's, it's not getting better. He's not getting better, and he's, he's getting caught. Kind of like when my, my sister, uh, the other day I was trying to explain to my children. I know, it's a sister story. I've got many more of them. Uh, I was trying to explain to my kids about, you know, they were like, we, cell phones and cell phones. So stop, let me just tell you what our cell phone was. The only cell phone we had was the breakthrough was when they got cords that could stretch from the kitchen to your room. That was the breakthrough. I'll be on the phone for 20 minutes. 
streaming that cord along all the way underneath your door, right? And then the next breakthrough is when you could have two phones on the same line. And that's when Charity thought she was clever. She wanted to listen in on conversations. Pick it up real light. Good thing she was a heavy breather. (laughs) Charity, get off the phone! Stop it! She's got medical help. She's doing better. But the point is, is that, the point is, is that Jacob is a schemer. He's not good at it. Like, it's in your face. I want to tell you what happens. He begins, his life becomes scripting, controlling, manipulating. And when you script in life, then you become suspicious of everybody and everything. You can't trust. Then you begin to avoid. You avoid people. You avoid healthy relationships. Everything's a battle. Everything's a war. Every, you're you, you're going to have to fight everyone and everything. It's you against the world, baby. And then, then you end up using others. Send them out. Servants go first. Servants go first. Let's keep that one. They're, they're a good servant. We want to keep them just in case they only kill a few of us. You exaggerate everything. 400, they're going to kill. Everything in your mind becomes exaggerated. Much worse. And then... You only contact God with 911 calls, right? It's not devotional. It's like, hey, God, I know we haven't talked in a while, but listen, I just want to tell you, I'm in knee right now. This ship is going down. In fact, this is the only time in the Bible, uh, in, 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 up until this point, actually, where Jacob initiates the prayer. All the other times, God has to initiate with Jacob. He is a mess. And the problem is, is that because Jacob's a mess, his world is a mess. I love what Stephen Covey says. He says this, you don't see the world as it is. You see the world as you are. If you're a hammer, you see the world as a nail. If if you're a problem, you see the world as a problem. Thank you. I had a little smiley face that said amen. They're going to amen it right there. You will receive from the world what you perceive from the world. It begins with me and how I perceive everything. That's why this sermon series, I feel, is so important. It's me, myself, and I. It begins with me. It begins with Jacob needing a transformation. It needs Jacob coming face-to-face with God. It needs more than just some tools, some, some friendship tools. And I'm all for tools. My wife and I have been to counseling. We're going to talk about that. We, we believe in those tools. We're not, we're not above going to counseling. Hey, we're, there's a little, some stress points. Let's go. Okay, we practice this tool. Be a container. Can you listen to her? Can you? Yes, I can. I'm listening. Come on, honey. Now, Chad, don't try to fix her. Okay, don't try to fix her. Don't try to fix her. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, there's four points that you were off a little bit about, about that story. I just remember your mother-in-law, my mother-in-law, your mother, not saying that. She said it like this. The, the real issue is not some tool, and tools are not bad. The real issue is unhealthy people produce unhealthy marriages, period. Jacob's an unhealthy person. So he cannot receive good things because he can't perceive good things because the filter of his life, the narrative that he's created, he's a victim. Everyone else is the problem. And it begins, healthy relationships begin with me assuming responsibility. Lord, examine my heart. So if 
you don't do that, then here's what's going to happen. You will be led in life by your feelings, by your emotions, how you feel. Jacob is freaking out. Why? Because he was led by his emotions. Emotions are not bad. They're indicators, but they're not dictators. They're not supposed to be dictators. And if you allow your emotions to be dictators, then here's what ends up happening. Then instead of you managing your emotions, your emotions manage you and you mismanage your life. Because you're driven not by the sales, not by purpose and vision and values and mission and where I'm going and what I see for my life, but you're driven by whatever wind comes, whatever emotion comes. This is coming this way. This person looked at me wrong. This person didn't say hi. This church, and, and all of a sudden, you, you have all of these consternations and problems and situations. Why? Because we perceive all the issues are outside the boat. What if the issue is really inside the boat? So what does he do? It's, it's, it's hiding. And when there's hiding, there's no healing. It's running. And when there's running, there's no reward. So here's what he did. He confused his Esau issue with his Jacob problem. He confused his Esau issue with his Jacob problem. Was it an Esau issue or was it a Jacob problem? Can I just tell you the answer? No cheating here. The problem was Jacob. Jacob is the problem. I love the story of the, the older couple in their mid to late 80s, and uh, he goes on a drive. He's, she, I think she sends him on a, on a maybe grocery store drive or something, get, pick something up. I can't remember. But um, he, he's out, and she's listening to the news, and they said, hey, somebody's, um, someone on the freeway is driving the wrong direction on the freeway. She goes, i, I got to call Herman. i got to tell him. She calls Herman. She goes, honey, you got to be careful. There's someone on the freeway driving in the wrong direction. He said, no, honey, there's hundreds of people driving in the wrong direction. <laughs> are, you, are you smelling what I'm selling here? Herman is the problem, not everybody else. Herman is the problem, not everybody else. This is a huge key in our spiritual success and growth with relationships. Why are relationships so important? Relationships are important because one, God brings people into your life for certain missions, certain purposes. Relational equity is paramount in your growth. You cannot grow alone. You have to have relationships. You got to be alone with the Lord like Jacob was, but you can't stay alone. I'm alone with the Lord because i got to be healthy because the people that God brings in my life are critical for, for, for the mission control, for fulfilling my destiny. I can't do it. We weren't designed to do it alone. Number two, I need feedback. I need somebody to speak into my life and say, Chad, you're a mess. You're a wreck. And I guarantee you the truth of the matter is most of us in this room don't have that person that we've given permission to and have the longevity and equity with to be able to say, hey, will you speak into my life? I mean, you may say that to a brand new friend. Hey, I've known you for two weeks. It's so cool to know you. Will you speak into my life? Sure, man, you're awesome, dude. You're so fun to hang out with. I'm talking about longevity. I'm talking about people who know you, who know your propensities, who know your issues, who know all your hangups and your mishaps and, and all of your idiosyncrasies and how you, how, how you get that little thing in your mouth when you get mad. They know you. Let me, let me just pause for a second. God gives us a spouse for multiple reasons, but nobody knows you 
like the person you're married to. If you say, everyone loves me but except my spouse, I always go, Houston, we have a problem. The Apollo is spinning in the outer space. It's the universe's fault. No, maybe it's in the ship. Again, we'll get to those dynamics, and there's no finger pointing, and we're all a beautiful hot mess. What if the battle is not with man? What if the battle's with God? What if the battle... The wrestling match is really with God and not people. What if you don't have a people problem? You have a God problem. What if that's Jacob's real issue? It's not the people. You got a God problem. You you need a wrestling match with God, Jacob, because there's some dysfunctions in your life. Let me show you the power of taking off the mask. This has been a scripture for the last couple of weeks that's just, I've been sitting on, I've been, I like to sit in, in uncomfortable scriptures. Now, it, on the surface, you can hoop and holler and go, whoa, but, but when, when it comes to practical application, it's uncomfortable. 2 Corinthians 3 and 13, watch this. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Many implications, many applications here. Essentially what it's saying, I grew up believing that Moses put a veil over his face because he, he didn't want people to get their eyes burned out from the glory. Oh, oh my God, eyes are popping out. No, let's put a veil over my face. The motive is actually a little different. He didn't want them to see that the glory was leaving, 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 gone. They, he didn't want them to see what wasn't there. And what was really there. Let's read it in the message. 2 Corinthians 3 and 13. Unlike Moses, we have nothing to hide. Everything is out in the open with us. He wore a veil so the children of Israel wouldn't notice that the glory was fading away. Come on. We all have a veil that we like to put on. A face. A persona. An idea. A narrative that you've created. That you're living by. You're saying, this is the real me. You know who knows the real you? Not you, God. But I've always been Jacob. Yeah, but you're actually Israel. See, what I love about God is he calls those things that are not as though they are. He speaks over us, not what we've done, but what he's called us to do and what he's called us to be. You haven't acted like a prince yet, but I'm going to speak it over you anyways. You haven't acted righteous yet, but he imputes righteousness and calls us righteous because of Christ. You see, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. He's already declared. He declares it first and then sees it second. Just like in Genesis chapter 1, he speaks it and then it becomes. He's speaking things over you and you're going to become. There's a gravitational pull pulling you out of Jacob into Israel. You are the change. You are the change agent. You're the thing that's changing. And when it changes, your whole world is going to change. Your issue is not people. Your issue is God. I do it, but it's expensive. Your issue is not people. Your issue is God. Let me say it again. Your issue is not people. Your issue is God. Let me show you 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 16. 
Just a few verses down. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The veil cannot stay. The veil is impossible to stay. When you turn your face to God, all the pretend and the projections and the meta narratives that you've created over your life, they go away when you turn to the Lord because God doesn't play pretend. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. See, when the veil's gone, freedom happens. When the veil's gone, freedom happens. When the veil's gone, freedom happens. When you stop playing pretend, freedom happens. When you get in a community of people, you could take the veil off, freedom happens. When you get real with God, freedom happens. Who knows you? Who can speak into your life? Who really knows you? Who knows what's going on? Who knows the scars? Who knows the issue? Most people have been hiding it their whole life. Because it's in the darkness, it thrives. But when it gets in the light, it has no power. And we all, who with an unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory and being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. There's glory, there's freedom when you take off the veil. Jacob, this is a marriage ceremony. You're no longer Jacob. You're Israel. Something's changing. You are Israel, a prince. I don't act like a prince. I don't, I don't feel like a prince. It doesn't matter. I've spoken it. My word has a gravitational pull. It's going to pull you into the destiny. It's impossible for this not to happen. I'm not righteous. Yeah, but you're not. You are righteous in his eyes, but your life is going to begin to change the way that you think your convictions. It's going to start lining up with what God has spoken over you. You are the righteousness of Christ. He speaks those things that are not as though they are. A very good friend of mine um, that I speak, I talk to maybe twice, three times a week. He's an interesting fellow, super brilliant, super great dad, super great employee, super great uh, leader, volunteer, minister, um, heart, integrity, character. You get the point. Just an absolute incredible person. And uh, But there's this one thing we even kind of, Tease him about it, lightly, tease about it. He just, he has a blank face. If, if, if an issue comes with, with anyone or anything, he goes, and he just, he kind of pulls in, and, and I, what's up with that? Why, why, when there's anything, like, you, you push away? If there's any, like, hey, I want to lean into it, and you kind of push away. And, and he's like, well, I, you know, I don't know, I'm not emotional, I don't know how to, uh, and he, explaining, and then he goes, here's the truth, I've only, I've only cried three times in my life. Three times. Okay, that's interesting. So he couldn't, you know, he went to some counseling and, and there were some, some tools. But then he, he, he told some, some of his leaders at the church, he goes, I need to take the veil. I need healing. He, good father, good husband, good everything. I just need healing. I want to advance in my, in my, in my relational growth. I want to advance. And I don't know why it's just like I, I get hard and I, I push people back a little bit and I can't lean in, yada, yada, yada. So they just started meeting and talking. And before he knew it, the, the veil, it was like another veil. And, and before he knew it, he remembered something he had forgotten. He went back to when he was 10 years old when his father died in a plane crash. After a week of, of being out of school, he goes back to school. The teacher in front of everybody says, hey, welcome. Welcome so-and-so back. And we're so sorry you, you lost your dad. And we're, so, we, 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 we're, we're sorry about this. We, we're, we're glad you're back in school. And 
And he began to cry. He began to cry because, you know, he's back in school and, and, and his tears are flowing down his face. And he said, I remembered, for the, I remembered it again. He said, I looked over as I was crying, and there were three kids in the, in, on the left side of the room that were laughing at me while I was crying. He goes, in that moment, I made an internal oath, not even realizing it. I will never cry again. I wonder what kind of internal oaths, internal decisions, internal strongholds, emotionally, mentally, even spiritually, that are gripping your heart and preventing you from healthy relationships. We're going to talk about this over the next couple weeks, and I really want you to come back. I want you to be here on this journey as we look really deep in our hearts. I want to go and show you something cool that happens. You're like, that is so negative, Pastor Chad. Is there any good stuff? (laughs) Yes. Genesis 33, the next chapter. He's wrestled with God all night, and now it's time to face his past. His past has caught up with him. I want you to see this. Jacob looked up, and there is Esau. Just got done wrestling. Looks up, there's Esau, coming with 400 men. So the divided children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants, he put the female servants and their children in the front. This is all lined up. Remember that all night, and he's in the very back. He's even alone. I mean, theoretically, you could say he was like, here's my wife I like, and then I'm going to stand over here alone. This, is whole, this whole thing's set up. Put the female servants and their children in the front. Leah and her children next, Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead. Now, here's the, here's the turn. And the, the, the Bible happened so fast. But that night, he got rid of the scheme. That's how it's set up. But as he saw Esau coming, you can miss this, he himself ran to the front. He decided not to be in the back and whatever happens, happens. And whoever he kills, kills. And I want to be the last one. He goes, oh, let me be the first one. Let me assume responsibility for all that I've done. I don't know how this is going to go down, but I'm going forward. I'm going to face this issue. And I know I can because last night I faced God. I've always been a runner, but God touched me in a way I can't even run anymore. I'm a changed man. He runs forward. He bows down seven times as he approaches his brother. Watch this. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. And he threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. There's so much grace. There's so much gospel. There's so much transparency and healing that happens right there. Why? Because this Jacob put a good plan together? No, because God interrupted this man's scheme and stepped into his chaos, and he was wrestling with Jacob, and Jacob prevailed with God and now will prevail with man. I want to show you one of my favorite verses, Proverbs 16 and 7. When a man's ways... Please the Lord. He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. When a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies are at peace with him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Me, myself, and I.
starts right here at home. It starts right here in the heart. Well, if they were different, they were better. If they lived up to my standard, God, teach us to move those sails, to be strong around healthy people, unhealthy people, to know what grace looks like, to know what grace feels like, to know what faith looks like in the midst of friendships, to how to be there at the right time, how to pull back when it's time to pull back and wait and love. Teach us the grace that you've given us. You waited for us when we needed to come to some conclusions before you stepped in. We just want to get this relational this relational gift and equity right. Life is measured in those relationships. Impact is measured in relationships. Lord, I believe that there's people in this room who have great callings and purposes on their life. The purpose of the water hose is not to get wet. It's to bring water to dry places. And there's, there's callings and purposes and meanings over our life that are greater than just an experience. But a, a call that is a gravitational pull into the life that you've called us to live that is victorious through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for every heart in this room, every person in this room, every situation, every nuance, every relationship on every level. I pray that through this sermon series, there would be a healing, a deep transformational healing, even if it starts with a small toe that's broken. Even if it, it starts with the things that seem so insignificant, but they're screaming in other areas. Lord, I pray that healing would come. A supernatural work would be done and your name would be glorified. You're going to teach us to forgive. You're going to teach us to let go. You're going to teach us to walk in healthy relationships. You're going to teach us how to, how to, how to understand and, and process pain that comes through relationships. You're going to give us grace for unmet expectations. Lord, you're going to do such a deep and transformational work in our life. We're never going to be the same. Would you say that with me? I'm never going to be the same. Never going to be the same. You can fill in the blank. My issue isn't for Jacob, it was Esau. My issue isn't Esau. My issue is fill in the blank, Jacob. My issue isn't, my issue is Chad. You got to fill in that blank. Set your sails. Amen. Come on, let's clap our hands to the Lord. We receive it today. Good grace, good grace. Come on, good Father. Amen. Now, most important part of the entire service is when we give you an opportunity to call out to that saving name, the name of Jesus. And if you're here today and you feel far from God and you don't know him or you don't know if you know him and you don't know if you've been forgiven, I want to tell you that this call to repentance is one of the greatest calls that God gives us. The Bible says heaven rejoices when one person that's far from him, that's missed the target, that's a sinner, repents and turns their heart 
Can I tell you that today, I believe heaven is going to rejoice for some people who are saying, I'm tired of living as a runner, running from God, running far from God, running from scheme to scheme, from problem to problem. I'm ready to, to rest in my Lord's arms and be known and known and know him and be changed. If that's you, I want to in just a moment pray for you because there's such amazing grace. You're not here by accident. You're here by divine providence. We believe that. We've been praying for you. We've been, we've been preparing for you. We just know that God's lost children are coming home. They're, they're coming to know their father. They're coming, they're coming to know that they don't just have a father. They have a family that's going to love and support you. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes one more time? If you're in this room and you feel far from God and you're ready to say yes to following Jesus and make him the Lord of your life, I want you just to raise your hand right where you are. No one's looking around. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Front row, thank you so much. Thank you over here to the right. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Nine people raised their hands. Come on, family. Is that great? Thank you for raising. I know who you are. I saw you. Thank you. Thank you. The rest of your life begins today. So we're going to pray as a family with you. We're going to say these prayers together. Let it come from your heart. Mean it, because when you cry out to Jesus, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The name of Jesus is power. The name of Jesus is hope. The name of Jesus is, Lord, I believe you've become my salvation. I believe you died for me and rose on the third day. I believe that you conquered death, hell, and the grave. I believe that you have a future for me. Because you came out of the grave, I too will live with you forever in heaven. You've made You've made room for me in heaven. You've put my name in heaven. I believe, I believe, I believe I'll never be the same. Let's pray that. Lord, first we want to acknowledge our sins, our trespasses. We've all fallen short. We've made mistakes. We have a broken heart, broken life. And only you, the author of our life, can mend our lives and our hearts. So, Lord, we acknowledge our sin. We, can, we, we declare our belief. We believe that Jesus died for us and rose again. We believe that God is good and scheming to bless us. We believe that he's a good father that wants to give us good gifts and pour out his Holy Spirit on us. We believe that we will see the, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We believe that on that great good enough morning, that when the trump, that last trump sounds, we will be with the Lord forever and ever and ever in his eternal kingdom in heaven and on earth. We believe in the masterful mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are changed. We'll never be the same. We're transformed today by the power of his grace that brought us here and the power of his grace that's going to take us there. We believe it in Jesus' name. Say that with me. We believe in Jesus' name. One more time. We believe in Jesus' name. Come on, stand to your feet. Let's clap our hands one more time. God is good. He's in the house. Worship with us as we finish this service.